Hello, I'm Dan Burke, Senior Features Writer for Transport Topics, and your host today for a discussion about the state of the trucking industry. I'm honored to be joined today by three distinguished executives to talk about the challenges facing motor carriers as they deal with an onslaught of new regulations and prepare for a future business landscape that is uh, very likely to include significant technological advances, such as autonomous vehicles. And the, the industry also faces uh, radical shifts in freight patterns driven by e-commerce, um, the possible revival of manufacturing in the United States, and shifts in global trade. We'll also hear from Bob Costello, uh, Chief Economist for American Trucking Associations, about changes in the labor market and how this will affect trucking companies. Our program today is sponsored by Omnitrax. You can read more about them at the bottom of this article page. During today's show, we welcome your comments and questions, which you can email directly to share at ttnews.com or simply comment directly in the chat box below this video. Our guests today are Don Dasky, founder and CEO of Dasky Incorporated, a company that ranks number 44 on the 2016 Transport Topics Top 100 list of the largest for hire carriers in the U.S. and Canada. With Don is Phil Bird, CEO of Bulldog Highway Express in Charleston, South Carolina, a company that became part of the Dasky Group just last year, as I recall. Phil is also a former past chairman of American Trucking Associations. And finally, uh, Joe Car Carlier. Uh, Joe is senior vice president of Penske Logistics in Reading, Pennsylvania. Penske is ranked number 22 on this year's top 100 list. We'll talk more about that later. Gentlemen? Thank you. Are you ready? Yes. Right. All right. Let's get started. I want to begin with Don. Uh, Don, you're a relative newcomer to trucking, having purchased your first trucking company in 2008, as I recall, after having uh, some success in the real estate business uh, as an investor. So, um, uh, after getting your feet wet with uh, the purchase of a Smoky Point distribu Distributing, I think it was your first company, mm -hmm. right? Um, this is a company that specialized in hauling airplane parts for Boeing. Um, you've gone on to acquire 10 other companies um, and generated revenue last year of $721 million um, in total. Very impressive. Thank you. Uh, Dasky is now the second largest carrier in the flatbed heavy specialized sector. Um, You've put together a company that I think is a bit unusual for the industry, um, which has seen uh, its share of consolidation over the years. But rather than merge all these companies into one, you've maintained some separation uh, and preserved kind of the entrepreneurial culture of each company, which I think is quite interesting, uh, because in most cases, the former owners stay involved. Um, tell us, uh, you know, what is it about trucking that has appealed to you and, and how does your approach to running the business uh, help you um, comply with all of the um, industry regulations that we're facing today and some of the technological challenges that you see coming? Well, good question, Stan. Uh, my personal philosophy is to invest in people 
because mm -hmm. people make the difference. Anybody can buy trucks or terminals, but people make a company successful. And my investments in trucking started with Smoky Point, as you pointed out, because I was very impressed with their management team. And I decided to invest in that company because of the management team. And it was then owned by an absentee owner. And since then, that's remained our core philosophy. We look for very successful companies that are focused on the flatbed, heavy haul, open deck space to join our family of companies. So we're not looking for companies that need to be fixed. We're not looking for broken companies. We're not looking for, for, for sale companies. We only want companies to join us that truly are not for sale. So it's a very different philosophy than a typical Wall Street approach of combining some companies, eliminate costs here and there, and try to make it more efficient. We believe that if we pick only very efficient, successful companies already, we shouldn't eliminate any of those jobs because they, those teams, those management teams, know how to build and operate a very successful company. And that's inherent part of our philosophy. We eliminate no management, no people at any level, and let them continue operating successfully. It's really a Warren Buffett philosophy that he's proven works. Mm -hmm. He buys successful companies, great management teams, provides them capital, and mentoring. We do exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. All right, very interesting. Phil, um, since you're now part of the Dasky Group, maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, what benefit you've gotten from being associated with a group of companies like this. Um, Be happy to, uh, Dan. I will just tell you that uh, we have one regret at Bulldog Highway Express, that it took us three years to make the decision to join Dasky. <laughs> we see. wish we'd have done it in year one and on the first visit because it's been that successful and it's been that impactful in a positive way hmm. to our operating company. Uh, we've seen all kinds of tangible benefits. Uh, the synergies that exist between the operating companies, the collaboration that takes place between the executives of each of these operating companies. Uh, but, the, but the really, really neat and keen thing is how do we respond to capacity needs across our spectrum of business? And in the DASCI model, we're able to flex up and flex down in a specific geographical area for a particular opco and to serve specific customers um, over a demand issue today mm -hmm. and then move that equipment to another resource and need tomorrow. So it's been a great uh, fit and um, we just feel blessed and fortunate to be a part of the family. Okay, good. Um, you were involved uh, with ATA on some very important issues when you were chairman. Um, hours of service. Um, there's a mandate uh, uh, coming up next year for installation of electronic logs for all trucks. Um, um, there's other regulations um, um, affecting driver training, uh, uh, possibly sleep apnea, right. uh, some other things. Um, could you talk a little about how, the, the, in my mind, the thing is all these regulations are going to affect the driver in one way or another. And, and having drivers obviously is the key to any trucking company staying in business and, and growing. So... Um, could you talk about what you're doing as a company to, um, um, to meet these new regulations? Um, what changes maybe have to occur in order to uh, continue to be successful? 
Certainly. You know, um, one of the missions of ATA is to advocate for this industry here in Washington and to work with the agencies that regulate us to um, keep burdensome regulations off the back of motor carriers across this country as we do a very important job, and that's move America's commerce. Uh, you know, we don't just make a delivery. We don't just make a pickup. We make a difference in every American family mm -hmm. every day. That's what we do. So regulations are needed, but burdensome regulations have no place in our market space. So from an hours of service standpoint, you're right. We work very hard um, on the hours of service, the restart, the split sleep of birth. Uh, all these issues are, are relative to, product, to productivity. Um, we were successful in getting um, the burdensome 34-hour restart taken back. We participated in a very dynamic uh, study conducted by DOT and FMCSA with respect to the 34-hour restart. Um, we've not seen the results of that, as I'm sure you're well aware. Mm. Uh, they're still on the Secretary's desk, uh, but we're anxious to see them. But the regulation hadn't moved back to the more burdensome regulation. Um, we hope that that will be a permanent fix, and that's the objective behind the efforts of ATA and the industry at large, is to keep those uh, the 34-hour 34, 34 restart that we enjoy today in place. Uh, we actually saw, as you probably are well aware, Dan, we saw an uptick in the frequency of accidents because the former regulation forced our trucks on the highway in the most congested periods of time. And, uh, and so we saw frequencies uh, go up. Uh, split sleeper birth, I would argue uh, and I have on behalf of the industry in many forums that the current inability for a driver to split his rest time into sleep of birth uh, incentivizes a driver in today's environment to drive through periods of time when their body is telling them they need to pull over and get rest. It's not a productivity issue, it's a safety issue. And the, regula the regulators have it wrong. And we need, we need our drivers to be able to rest when their bodies are telling them to rest. Um, and as far as electronic logging devices, I will only tell you that in, at Bulldog Highway Express, we were an early adopter of this technology. And what I've said and communicated around the country uh, working on behalf of ATA has been that if a motor carrier operates today on a paper log compliantly, they will not see a loss of productivity with electronic logging devices. They'll see an increase in productivity. We experience that in our fleet. Um, it's a good piece of technology. I think it does many things for our industry. I know that there's controversy about it, mm -hmm. uh, but I think uh, what we saw in our fleet when we introduced it to our drivers, uh, they had some concerns about it. There was a, some initial pushback, but today you couldn't take that device from one of our drivers. They would leave us if you took that logging device from them. They have adapted to it um, in a very good way, and it's beneficial to our company and to public highway safety. Yeah. You know, another um, thing that I think many trucking companies are concerned about is the uh, regulation of the industry at a state level. Uh, yes. We're, we're seeing, in, like in California, for example, the rest break um, problem right. uh, rule. Um, could you talk about the potential problems that we're seeing there and how, to, how we might address that? Well, absolutely. I mean, we, we need to be regulated not on a patchwork um, from a patchwork standpoint, whereby we have different regulations when we cross state lines. We need harmony relative to regulatory issues uh, impacting our industry. Uh, we see it, the Dasky family of companies sees it every day in our heavy haul uh, out of gauge operation, mm -hmm. whereby uh, we, we are regulated on 
this particular freight, based on dimension and size and weight, in this state one way, when we cross the state line, it's another way, and it's very burdensome to the industry. Uh, you know, the feds many years ago tried to get this right, so that they did not impact on a state basis our routes and services and things of that nature, and that's what F4A speaks to, and, and this is a very important issue. Can it be fixed? Uh, I think it can be you know, fixed. Yeah, yes. because there seems to be, uh, you know, reluctance on the part of the federal government to assert itself in transportation these days. Everything from funding to, uh, you know, regulations, and the states are, I, I think you could say, are are, are filling the void. And well, so they how are do today, we... but that's even more of a reason that we need a strong, unified ATA speaking with one voice in the halls of Congress mm. today, tomorrow, and into the future. Yeah. Okay. All right. Joe, you work for a company that uh, not only is a, a carrier, um, but also uh, a logistics company. And so you work directly with shippers to help them arrange for transportation. Um, um, could you talk about <clears throat> um, uh, how uh, both the carrier side of your business and the shipper side, how they are responding to uh, some of the things that we're talking about, the um, uh, the increased regulation of the industry, the, the constraints that are being put on drivers, uh, uh, the possible uh, disruptive technology that you see coming uh, that might help both carriers and shippers. Yeah, sure. So, I, you know, it, it is a compilation of a number of things. So if, um, if you look at you know, the driver shortage that we're experiencing today, um, we're seeing more drivers as exiting the business than, than entering. Um, compound that with additional regulations that impact, you know, the productivity and utilization of our associates is having an impact. Um, technology obviously can, um, you know, enhance, you know, the overall optimization and utilization of, of, uh, of networks. Um, but I also think from, from a shipper perspective, you know, consumer demands have really shifted over the last couple years, which is really putting uh, a lot of pressure on the overall transportation industry. So if you uh, assemble, you know, in, enhance consumer demands, the I want it now mentality, yeah. uh, along with federal regulations and an existing driver shortage, um, there is a significant amount of stress, I believe, that's on the industry and challenges that we're going to be faced with in the, in the near future. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you very much. Um, a quick reminder to our viewers uh, that you're watching live on web, and the focus of today's program is the uh, 2016 Top 100 for Hire Carriers rankings and the potential disruption we see in the industry. Uh, the sponsor for today's show is Omnitrax. And again, we invite your uh, comments and questions. Um, you can send them to share at ttnews.com or ask in the chat box below this video. Um, I want to take a break now to um, um, show a video interview I did with Bob Costello uh, at American Trucking Associations. And he'll talk a little bit more about the uh, changes, the trends in the labor market and how this is complicating matters for trucking. So let's look at that now. Hello, Bob. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, a little bit about the labor market uh, trends. And there's some very interesting data um, that we're seeing here with unemployment falling. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost to a level that most people would think we're close to full employment, right? Uh, the number of job openings uh, keeps rising steadily. 
Bob, what does this mean for trucking, which already has a, a very serious problem in terms of recruiting drivers? Does, does this make things uh, more difficult? Well, I guess there's two sides to that equation, right? Uh, uh, the good side of that is, is the closer we get to full employment, um, that is going to stimulate wages going up. When that happens, for the vast majority of people, uh, the more money they have coming into the household, the more money they have to spend. We're putting all that stuff in trucks. So uh, that's the good side. Now, I would caution people in the broader labor markets um, not to panic when we start to see a slowdown in job growth. And we're already seeing it. You know, mm -hmm. last year we created, on average, about 229,000 jobs per month uh, for the entire economy. Uh, that has slipped to below 175,000 for the first half of this year. I really do believe we're starting to get a bit of a supply problem. Uh, you know, we went from an environment where you had nearly eight unemployed people for every job opening to today less than two unemployed people for every job opening. Mm. Um, this is something we've seen in trucking where you have the, the skill sets not necessarily lining up with the job openings. And so my caution to everybody would be, you are going to see, yeah, we had a really good June, 287,000 jobs created. That's not going to be the norm going forward. I think the norm is going to be less than 200, maybe closer to 150,000. Nevertheless, what that's going to do is that's going to create some wage growth, okay, because it's going to be more and more difficult for businesses to find, recruit uh, folks uh, into those jobs. And just going to be the natural progression of things. You're going to see, see wage growth growing, going from you know real disposable income from 20, um, 2007 to 2010 only went up 1.6 percent per year on average. Mm -hmm. We're closer to three percent now. Mm -hmm. So that's the good news. So the good news of all of this is people are going to have more money, right? And they're mm -hmm. going to spend that money on, on goods that we're putting in, in trucks. The flip side to all of this is um, it's, uh, it is going to get a little bit more difficult for the trucking industry to, to recruit people. There are more jobs available out, out there. Uh, construction is, is doing really well. Um, Single-family ho housing starts are doing well. Uh, this is going to, um, this, is, this is where you know, some people go that don't want to drive truck or, or might consider they're hiring. So it'll be tough on our side of the you know, uh, hiring folks. Um, uh, although so far this year, you know, with the tough um, uh, freight environment currently, our industry has actually reduced employment so far this year. That's not the long-run trend. We're going to go back to driver shortage. It's going to be tough, and, and we're going to start hiring more. Uh, so good mm. news, bad mm. news. Mm. Okay. Well, the other thing that we face uh, long-term, again, is, is demographic uh, issues uh, for trucking, right? Le you pointed out in one of your recent briefings that labor force participation is actually falling, right? There, uh, and younger people we know are not choosing trucking as a career. Right. So what is this, how does this influence the way companies um, should approach, you know, attracting and, and hiring people? Yeah, you, you know, the, well, you've got the average age of, of, a, of a truck driver is 49 years old. The average age of a U.S. worker is only 42 years old. Um, we are going to have a lot of people um, start to retire out of this industry, yep. um, and you've got to replace them with, with younger people. Now, what you don't generally find is you don't generally find 21-year-olds at um, truck driver training schools. They're, they're closer to 30 on average, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and it's because you have to be 21, right, to drive interstate freight, and so you lose out on a lot of people that are going to go and 
and, and get a different job. And then once that doesn't go so well, then they, they eventually come to come to trucking. So uh, so you got to be thinking about it in those sort of terms. You know, what? how do I get a person in their late 20s, early 30s um, into our industry? And um, so, um, you know, I don't know that I have all the answers for that, <laughs> but that's really yeah. the demographic mm. as we stand today that, that most new people coming into the industry, uh, that's their age. Um, we, we can do a lot better in terms of females. You know, females are only roughly 5% of all truck drivers. That's a large part of the population that we're missing out on. Uh, and, and so that would be an opportunity as well. Mm -hmm. And minorities, perhaps. Uh, and minorities. And, and what about immigration, uh, immigrants? Uh, as well, a, I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon. I mean, as long as they're here legally, yeah. that's a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, if you're talking about changes in immigration policy and so forth, I mean, I think that's a whole nother, a whole nother ball game. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out in the presidential campaign. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. Okay, welcome back. Um, I'm Dan Berth uh, with Transport Topics, and um, I want to carry on the conversation a little about drivers. And uh, Joe, could you tell us a little bit more about you know what can be done uh, by the industry, by individual carriers, to attract and retain drivers? Um, well, I, I think it's a we're in a different environment, as I as I pointed out, the shortage that each of us are experiencing. Um, I think the approach is different. I think it's no more just posting an ad in a paper somewhere. It's um, it's about getting boots on the ground, getting engaged in places where um, drivers are. It, it's a very competitive landscape. They have choices today. Um, it's about promoting the brand, right? So how, what can we offer differently to address your personal lifestyle needs? So, um, you know, part of Penske, we offer our our drivers the latest and greatest technology and the newest of trucks. Um, there is an appeal to that on behalf of drivers wanting to come work for a great brand. Um, also in, in our routing and in, in design and the work that we do with our customers, the type of work is, is very important as well. Um, not gone for endless days, most of our driving positions, your home same day. So looking at those lifestyle needs that they have, uh, along with in a different approach to connecting with those drivers through social media or, or different types of uh, networks. Um, it's really about promoting at the highest levels what uh, you know our organization may have to uh, offer to be able to attract those drivers. But then once we secure those, you know, it's a similar ongoing effort in, in regards to retention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Phil, um, is it, are we, is the industry still appealing to, to new people uh, coming in, um, or has pay gone up enough to attract uh, some new blood in the industry? What do you think? Well, the, answer to the short answer to both of those questions is no and no. Uh, uh, we're not as attractive as we potentially could be, and I think the burden of that and the responsibility of that rests with this industry, with this association. Um, we have to promote what we do. Uh, we have to make it a, a, a career and not a job. Mm. We have to respect those people that are, we currently employ at a level that they don't enjoy today uh, because respect is a big component. Mm. And you can't separate uh, recruitment and retention. They're one and the same. So if you have a need because of retention issues, uh, you're going to have a recruiting problem. 
because you're not going to recruit over top of a retention issue. So I would say it behooves every motor carrier to look within first and to find out what they can do in their own operating companies to promote what they do, their companies, and this industry. Uh, lifestyle issues for certain fleets aren't as big as they are for other fleets. In, the, in our space, the open deck, heavy haul market, we, we do experience overnights. We do experience uh, drivers being away from home. And that's something that, frankly, um, yeah, I tell every driver that comes in our company, you know, we're going to do many things. First thing we're going to do is respect you. We're going to pay you and compensate you in a very respectful way. We're going to incentivize and benefit you in a very respectful way. Uh, and we're going to communicate with you in a very effective way. But the thing we can't do is take the trucking out of trucking. Mm -hmm. There's some inherent issues uh, and requirements for trucking. And some of that impacts lifestyle issues. I do think that the industry is adjusting and adapting to some of those issues, and I think they're being responsive to it. The next thing is driver wellness and health is a big, big issue and a component and dynamic of retention and recruitment. If companies aren't focused on the well-being and the health and well-being of their employees and their driver associates, uh, it's going to show up in both of those categories. So technology is a... I don't look at technology as, as burdensome. I look at it as an opportunity to benefit and augment what we do every day in moving America's freight with our very skilled and professional drivers. Yeah. I'm glad you made the point about driver health. Um, uh, part of our coverage in the, the Top 100 uh, feature this year involved what yeah. companies are doing to intervene to help drivers uh, keep their licenses uh, and I think this is actually something that's going to play out uh, over the next few years as medical examiners are, are given guidance that uh, uh, makes them look more closely at, at the health of drivers. We're going to see a lot more drivers disqualified and, 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 and if they lose their license they, they're out of work. Yeah, And, and, and carriers uh, that aren't proactively doing that today yeah. are behind the curve already. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that we, we wrote a little bit about in the issue is uh, driver training schools right. and, um, and the extent to which they can help remedy the problem. And, Don, maybe I'd like to ask you, um, uh, are we at the point where um, these schools are uh, adequate, uh, uh, training enough drivers for, for us, or are we, going, are we facing the situation where carriers themselves are going to have to... Um, do more of their own training in order to get um, qualified people to, to drive? I think driver recruiting, uh, as Phil pointed out, starts with retention. Yeah. Because if you really focus on that, that is a big help to recruiting. And there's so many little things that a company needs to do these days to improve the lifestyle of the driver, to help the driver be respected in his job. For example, we start with giving them business cards because part of the job, as Phil points out, is respect. Mm. Most outside people, outside the trucking industry, don't respect drivers enough mm. for the hard work that they do. So we give them business cards. But there's lots of other little things. For example, we're putting in plasma TVs screens in the tractor so that when the tractor is not working they can watch their favorite shows that their family and friends are watching. Mm. Oh my gosh, you respect <laughs> me enough to put in a plasma screen 
in the, in the oh, tractor. We have a points program for drivers that they get rewarded for all the different things that are that are functions that we need them to do. Part of the challenge in our business is that we're irregular route, long haul driving, and so we do have inherent lifestyle challenges. Um, and we have drivers that need to physically do things. They have to climb up on top of a tractor and strap things down, and chain loads and tarp loads. So it's a tough job. So we've really got to do a lot of little things very well to attract drivers and equally importantly, if not more importantly, retain them. Do you do any training at all? I mean, for yourself or do you rely on other uh, organizations to prepare drivers for we, the career in trucking? We found in the open deck business that the uh, it's such a different job that we essentially rely on other companies largely to train drivers yeah. because as a general rule we require at least two years of experience before a driver joins us. Yeah. It's just a lot more than a drive-in driver has to, to, to focus on. We have not yet done a driving school. It's something we think about. But we rely on other companies today to really help us train drivers. Yeah. Okay. Dan, one other component that we didn't address when we talk about driver retention and driver recruitment uh, and, and the availability of drivers to the industry today is the amount of people we're losing from the age of 18 to 21. Yeah. And, and when we talk about a burdensome regulation that impacts the U.S. economy and impacts this industry to deliver America's goods, it's the fact that we have a rule where we can drive from San Diego, California to the border of California and Oregon, but they can't take a run across that same state line. Mm -hmm. it, it's really uh, something that I know ATA has worked on very hard in getting corrected and righted, but that's something we need not take our focus off of because that's a huge pool of potential drivers. A lot of people are, are hoping that that happens, but uh, why haven't we seen movement on it, you know, in the political sphere, I guess, is what's the reluctance, I guess, to uh, allow that uh, from the politician's standpoint? It, it's, just, it's just an initiative that we put some effort and energy into that we have mm -hmm. not been successful on yet. We thought we had a fix coming on the last um, uh, highway bill. It didn't materialize, but it's something I know ATA is very focused on. But I just wanted to point out to our listeners today that uh, that unified strong voice of a particular need, particularly as it relates to labor, uh, means a lot in, here in Washington, D.C., where we are today. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it's worthwhile mentioning, too, that the opportunity the uh, trucking has to um, uh, attract uh, women, minorities, maybe immigrants. Uh, do you, Joe, do you see, uh, you know, potential uh, supply of drivers coming from places that we haven't yeah, normally absolutely. looked at before? Yeah, we're, we're seeing, uh, um, you know, those counts increasing, but likewise, you also failed to mention military, you know, so, you know, there are options and opportunities out there. It's really, again, it goes back to the recruiting and retention. What, how are you getting to that potential market? Which, you know, we, we were just talking about the, um, the 18 to 21 year olds. The, the pilot program allows for military mm -hmm. people in that right. space. Uh, but that's, a, that's just such a small right. amount of drivers. I, I've heard somewhere between uh, 10 and 15,000 in total that right. would meet that uh, requirement. That needs to be expanded. There, there's huge opportunity there. Yeah. But I think the okay. key is how, how do we promote the industry? Yeah. How, do, how do we attract 
potential new people into the industry. Uh, uh, driving a truck today is different than it was 20 years ago. So how do we get that and spread the word and promote the industry to attract young people to enter into uh, into the transportation can you industry. can you answer your own question I, I can't <laughs> oh <laughs> well that's something we're going to work on I Absolutely. guess uh, as an industry um, one of the some readers uh, have asked some questions kind of along these same lines uh, uh, Tony Eng Engberg of Trendfire Technologies wrote in um, he wants to know how you, you see the range of technologies and shifts and business models impacting the number of owner-operators. Um, uh, you know, and we frequently get questions about this. Owner-operators are a big part of the trucking driver supply, always have been, but there's always been, uh, I think, people wondering, how long can we rely on this uh, supply of drivers? And uh, some of, I think you rely on owner-operators to some extent in your operations. Uh, so what does that look like to you? Um, is it st um, a, still, in your opinion, a reliable source of, of drivers? And what can be done to maybe increase that? Well, I think first and foremost, you, you've got to understand that that is a very um, important segment of our industry. Yeah. I mean, they move a lot of America's goods. And um, they, too, are underappreciated and under-respected, mm -hmm. just like our fleet drivers are. The owner-operator, um, I know, um, has a concern about regulations that are in the pipeline today, and rightfully so. But I think what you will find over time is that these independent contractors, these truly professional independent contractors, will be very adaptive to technology over time and they will they will adapt to it and they will operate in a very successful way in it they might there might be some initial pushback but i think over time uh, they will adapt to this technology and see the benefit of this technology and be appreciative of it mm -hmm. what about are we seeing new people uh, become owner operators um, i know a lot of companies have um, lease purchase arrangements that help them get started is, is that effective I think it's very effective, and I think, uh, you know, we, we, we just had a quarterly board meeting out in uh, Dallas, Texas for DASCI, and uh, I heard some of my colleagues, some of my uh, CEO counterparts, uh, speaking to the fact that, that there was interest on both the lease purchase side and the independent contractor side to join their fleet. So I, I, I definitely think there's still an interest, uh, and it's a very, very important part of what this industry does for America every day, the owner-operator. Are you concerned about some states, you know, um, cracking down on owner-operator or independent contractor status, right? Does this, have you seen that uh, affect your operations anywhere yet? Um, you just have to respect the separation of what is an employee and what is an independent contractor, and that's, right. that burden rests with the management of that company. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're not concerned about it uh, being undermined at this point if we, companies we, do the right thing in terms of how they um, uh, interact with their owner-operators? Well, I, I think, I think there's, a, there's a point at which the, uh, you can go too far. I mm -hmm. mean, there has to be a working relationship yeah. so that customers can be served, the independent contractor can, can earn a, a good wage, and the company mm -hmm. can manage its portfolio of business in a, in a responsible manner. So there has to be a, a working um, environment for the owner-operator and the motor carrier to exist in. Okay. Um, 
Don, maybe another question for you uh, that, again, is something we frequently get from readers. Uh, smaller carriers, um, how do they survive in, in this environment that we're in? Um, you've, you've bought a lot of small, small company, relatively small companies, and now you have a collection that is large. Do you see um, a difference uh, between the ability of large and small companies to um, uh, compete and survive in the industry? Well, that's a great question, Dan. Uh, there are s- some inherent challenges for smaller companies. Yeah. Uh, for example, most small carriers cannot get a very large amount of liability insurance, umbrella coverage. And that's, that's tough for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the prices of equipment are going up. That's a challenge for smaller carriers. Yeah. So that the we find that smaller companies can navigate those challenges and associate themselves with a large company. You know, we do have about a quarter of our drivers, our owner operators, um, or smaller carriers that, you know, work on, on work for us. Uh, we also broker out a business to a lot of smaller companies that uh, we, in effect, op- operate as the marketing arm for these companies. So yes, it can be it can be done, and the, it, it's a challenge for any small businessman. But uh, a a competent entrepreneur can be a successful small operator of um, of trucks in, in our business today. Yeah. Um, okay. Good. Well, thank you. That's optimistic uh, outlook. Um, um, our story uh, this year, uh, another feature was uh, a story that Armstrong and Associates, uh, Dick Armstrong, wrote for us about trucking in Mexico. And uh, plus, we had a story about that profiled a couple f- uh, fleets in Mexico that was written by our editorial director, Neil Apt. Um, Joe, I'm looking at you because uh, Penske Logistics is a company that does a lot of business in Mexico. Um, also in Brazil, South America mm-hmm. as well. Um, what do you see uh, in terms of the shifts of freight uh, movement uh, and the growth of manufacturing in Mexico uh, and how, how it might impact the U.S.? Yeah, so what, what we're feeling specifically is um, you know, the increase in manufacturing output in the automotive industry. Yeah. And if you think about you know, over the last couple of years and you know, a couple of years moving forward, um, there's somewhere around 7 to 10 new assembly plants that are going to be up and running and producing vehicles. Um, so if you think about you know, the, the supply side, uh, a lot of suppliers are moving in-country which is making, you know, creating a, a different work sets of requirements and transporting goods from in-country, uh, but also a number of suppliers are servicing uh, that production from the states, which there's an increase in activity on cross-border operations. So based on uh, those dynamics and the increase of the manufacturing output that we'll see in the next couple of years once all of these new plants are up and running, uh, again, talking about additional pressures on the industry, um, and there's an absolute need. We're feeling it. We're seeing it today, uh, an increase in tra- the transportation requirements within 
country of Mexico. Then you also think about the new opportunities for employment and disposable income, which then you know creates additional needs within other sectors. So if increased uh, disposable, uh, disposable income occurs, you know retail sales, things of, of that nature are increasing, which again creates additional transportation needs. So there is a dynamic that's happening in, in Mexico. We've been in Mexico for 20 years. Uh, heavily invested, um, you know, across the border from El Paso down to Brownstown, and uh, that is actually a, a very strategic uh, geographic for our organization. Mm -hmm. um, Phil, how do you feel about the future for cross-border trade and, and international trade? Because you know, in your own business, you you handle a lot of uh, goods moving in and out of the ports. We do, and in uh, you know, trade has become sort of a bad word in uh, politics these days if you look at what's happening in the presidential campaign but is that something we should worry about or do you you know see uh, uh, a good future for um, ex continued expansion of, of trade um, and freight I, I think we truly are a global economy today mm -hmm. and I think it's going to be hard to disrupt that global um, economy mm -hmm. uh, I do think that certain uh, trade agreements can have an impact on it but uh, a lot of our everyday lives is depending on uh, global trade. Right. Now, on cross-border, uh, we don't do any Mexico freight out of our uh, company, Bulldog Highway Express, but we have uh, in the Dasky family Lone Star Transportation that does a significant amount of cross-border uh, work, and, and it's good work, and, uh, and it's good space for us to be in. We do do cross-border into Canada, and work very well uh, in those traffic lanes. And um, so I don't think you can disrupt the global economy uh, in a large way. I think it's going to be a, a major player. Um, but back to the point about drivers in a 21-year, 18 to 21 bracket. Now think about this. That's international cargo. It's interstate in nature. It's not intrastate. So we can't pick up a load of intrastate cargo with an 18, 19, 21-year-old person and move it to Columbia, South Carolina, 100 miles up I-26. Mm. <laughs> but we can take that same driver mm. and let him load a load of steel out of one of the steel mills and move it to Columbia. Mm. That's the kind of burdensome regulation that makes no sense, that has a negative impact on our uh, industry. Yeah, I see. Do any of you see a revival of manufacturing in the United States? Is this something that... Uh, we should expect to see in the future, given the, you know, the trends in, in trade and, and fuel and whatever? Um, or is it pretty quiet on that front? Andy? Go ahead, Joe. Um, I, I mean, we're seeing signs. So some really? of our current customer base, we've seen them move back um, you know, the nearshoring effect is, is one aspect of things. So if you look at, again, just talking about Mexico, yeah. uh, we are seeing jobs move from China back, getting closer to the point of consumption. Um, so a lot of these dynamics within the industry is having an impact of where these commodities are being sourced from. Um, so on the automotive side, absolutely we're seeing the nearshoring and feeling the nearshoring effect. Uh, but, you know, in other verticals, we're, we're seeing some of our customers um, open new manufacturing facilities right here in the States, which is, you know, very exciting. 
What kind of manufacturing are you seeing? Um, you know, some light industrial companies are, really? are moving. Um, you know, uh, I know some, some from a retail perspective, we've seen uh, a, a retail uh, manufacturing facility move in, back into the states. So, uh, yeah. a lot of it, though, very much heavy on the uh, yeah. industrial and on the automotive side and the nearshoring, where jobs are coming back to support yeah. a specific industry. Yeah, yeah. Some of this will depend on, I think, I think on low, continued low energy prices. Mm -hmm. uh, the yeah. the fact that. North America now is an exporter of energy. energy is really amazing when you think about it, but uh, we know it's leading to an increase in, in the <clears throat> chemical, petrochemical mm -hmm. uh, production, in, especially along the Gulf Coast, right? Mm -hmm. um, that should bode well for U.S. manufacturing and for trucking, too, mm -hmm. I presume, as time goes by. Mm -hmm. You know, e-commerce is kind of the other big uh, dis potential disruptor here, I suppose, right? Because it, with e-commerce, you're seeing uh, a need for companies to locate their distribution much closer to the end consumer. So that means shorter hauls for trucks, I presume, right? Potentially. And, and, and maybe some other... Uh, well, we, we see opportunity services. for drivers as well, right? Sure. So as, as consumer behaviors, which I mentioned earlier, continues to change, yeah. um, you know, that creates additional opportunities. So you talk about e-commerce, not only within, you know, from a technology perspective, how do I ensure that I have the right technology in place to support the e-commerce industry? How do I get my product closer to the point of consumption? But that final mile delivery yeah. changes significantly. So again, a lot of consumer behavior changes are having an impact on our overall industry, which ultimately could create opportunities. Okay. Great. All right, I want to take another break, and we'll, we'll um, have another segment here with Bob Costello. He's going to talk about um, the economic outlook and, and pick up on some of these uh, issues that we're just now talking about. So let's hear from Bob again. Let's talk about the economic outlook a little bit. Um, Bob, you mentioned uh, uh, that earlier that uh, we're seeing um, uh, Competition uh, in in hiring and construction, uh, it's, which is coming back fairly strong, right? Oil and gas we know has been mm -hmm. weak, but maybe recovering right now. Um, what's your uh, outlook for the overall economy, and and how will trucking be affected by some of these uh, trends that you're seeing in these other sectors that are competitive with trucking? Right. Well, it's a good question. So I think at this point you can really take the economy and split it up between the industrial side and the consumer side. Uh, on the consumer side, that's where, where our strength is right now. Um, you know, hiring is, it's, while it's slowing down, it's still very good. Um, and more, you know, unemployment's down to 4.9%. Um, you've got wages finally starting to accelerate and, and people have more money in their pockets, they're spending more money. We're gonna put that in the good column. The other related to that is the housing market and specifically housing starts. Um, that generates a lot of truck freight as well. And, uh, and we're, we're seeing the best year really since the great, you know, prior to the great recession in terms of that. Now we've changed from building uh, multifamily homes to single family homes again, mm -hmm. uh, but nevertheless, construction's doing well. We're gonna put that in the good camp. Where the economy is tough right now is on the industrial side, right? You've got manufacturing output is barely growing. Mm -hmm. uh, manufacturers that are set up for exports are really getting hammered, right? The U.S. dollar is appreciated not only significantly, but in a very short period of time. That makes our exports more expensive, imports are much cheaper, very tough environment. You've got 
Um, you've got the oil and gas um, sector. Um, you know, that's been tough. We all know how that's going. And then on top of all that, I'll throw in as well, freight feels worse in the trucking industry because of this inventory glut. And we're mm -hmm. finally at the beginning stages of it getting pulled, you know, uh, cleaned out a little bit. Uh, it's going to take a while. This is not going to happen in one month or even one quarter. I suspect it's going to happen throughout the rest of this year. The good news for fleets, though, is the further we progress through this transition, the better freight's going to feel, right? So we don't need to get all the way. We don't have to get to the end point, mm -hmm. all right? We, it's going to feel a little better as, as we progress through it. So, you know, it, it just depends on where your freight is, what you're hauling. If you're on the consumer side, things aren't too bad. If you're on the industrial side, it's a little tough. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the most interesting things that you've been tracking for a while, in my mind, is, is truckload equipment, uh, where we're seeing a steady decline in the number of tractors on the market and an increase, substantial increase, in the number of trailers. That's right. Why is this happening? Well, I think it's all about the driver, right? Mm. You have a lot of these large truckload fleets that have had a high trailer to tractor ratio for quite some time, right? They've been doing this practice for a while, drop and hook, get the, the, get the driver out of their um, uh, customers and their customers' <coughs> customers' facilities as quickly as possible. And these are the, this is the group that's already transitioned to electronic logging devices, right? So they know that the driver's time is very valuable. Mm. So you now have a lot of medium and smaller fleets that are, are starting to transition to higher um, trailer to tractor ratio. So they've, this group was as freight has been soft. Uh, you know, they don't like doing it because they want to hold on to drivers, but it's gotten to the point where some of these fleets are, are starting to reduce their tractor counts. Um, but at the same time, as you said, we're seeing trailer counts go, go up, and that's to increase that trailer to tractor ratio for a lot of medium and small fleets. Mm -hmm. In longer term, though, you're convinced that we'll need more trucks, more drivers, yeah. to handle the capacity, uh, uh, handle the demand for more freight hauling service. So. What do you see companies doing to provide more capacity? What, what can they do? If well, I mean, it's, it's tough in our industry, right? I mean, because productivity is limited to the technology you can put on the truck and uh, getting folks in and out of facilities faster and so forth. They're going to continue to do that. There's no doubt. Working with the shipper, working with uh, the receiver and so forth. I, I think that that certainly continues. Uh, and so forth. Uh, but yes, you're right. Long run, you grow your population. You grow, we're, we're going to need, you know, we're going to haul in, in 10, 12 years time, we're going to haul 20, 25% more tonnage than we are today. That's a lot more tonnage. So um, we're going to have to figure these things out. We're going to have to recruit more people to this industry because at the end of the day, while we may be getting rid of trucks today, we're going to have more trucks on the road 10, 12 years down the road. Mm -hmm. And it looks like we'll continue to see um, a shift to shorter haul uh, yeah. in the industry, more intermodal uh, for longer haul shipments, right? Yeah, that's been very interesting. We have seen oh, since the year. So mind you, online sales, retail sales have gone up over 1,400% since the year 2000. At the same time, we've seen dry van average length of haul fall from almost 800 miles to less than 550 miles, yeah. I mean, over that same period. Now, you can't say it's all due to online sales, but it's a big part of it. And uh, so, and that's only, online sales are only gonna continue to grow. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of different things going on in this marketplace. All right, great. Thank you very much. No problem. Oh, hello. All right, we're back. Um,
And we want to try to kind of wrap up uh, the conversation today with um, your thoughts about um, future technology, and, and, and in particular, you know, this idea of, of automating the driving function of trucks. Um, I know you all have some some ideas about how this might play out. Um, um, who wants to start with? Uh, Phil? You know what what can we expect, and what's beneficial, and what's you know, really not helpful? Well. Technology as a whole has been very beneficial to the industry. If you look at the productivity gains that we enjoy today, it's come through technology for the most part. So with the advent of new technology, there's always pushback, there's always concern, there's always how will that impact me, is that going to harass my work? Um, and the answer to most of that is no. It's going to benefit you. It's going to be a tangible asset that is going to help you do your work in a, in a more productive, efficient, and safe manner. So I think this industry owes it to the general public that we share the highways with to make sure that we put vehicles on the highways that are well equipped with technology that helps us operate around them more safely. And we, need, we owe it to our drivers to provide them with training and technology that helps them do their work more efficiently and productively because that's income to them. So I think, I think um, we should look in a very forward way at technology. Uh, when we talk about autonomous vehicles, you know, in our space where we're operating flatbeds and uh, multi-axle trailers, there's a lot of work that goes on for our drivers outside of the cab of the truck. So I don't know how an autonomous vehicle takes that away. So what I look when, when I think about autonomous uh, vehicles, I look at how they can augment and benefit the driver. What gains might we be able to get because of the use of some autonomous technology that will enable us to operate an extended work day, you know, because it's taking some of the responsibility and some of the burden off the driver inside of the cab. So we just have to be very open-minded and very forward-thinking about technology. How can, te how can smart trucks talk to smart highways yeah. and, and get yields in both productivity, efficiency, and safety? That technology is coming. We need to embrace it, and we need to be prepared for it. Yeah, yeah. You all agree? I would very yeah. much echo those comments. You know, the, the other big thing on the horizon really are these fuel efficiency standards that yeah. the EPA is is putting on track. Now, this is going to force some changes in the in the vehicle. And how do you feel about the your ability to to meet those expectations? Um, um, we've already seen you know significant improvement in in fuel economy with new trucks. Can we do even better? Well, there's, you know, obviously the technology in the trucks, but there's, you know, Phil mentioned a lot about the training that we, mm -hmm. you know, or drivers and what, how can technology help um, in maximizing the efficiency of a truck through shifting and, and things of that nature. So, uh, yeah. again, there's opportunity, um, but it, it can be supported with technology and training to support it. I would again say that it's coming. It's a reality of what we are going to be faced with going forward in this industry, um, both in terms of clean burning uh, engines and, and better MPG uh, yields on all of our vehicles. Uh, what I would say that this association, ATA, needs to be focused on and this industry needs to be unified behind is that we demand that when the regulators roll out this new technology that it's ready for the marketplace. Uh, in the phase one uh, version of this, uh, these improvements, 
it was not marketplace ready. Mm. And it, it created problems throughout the uh, supply chain mm -hmm. for the motor carrier, for the OEMs, for the uh, dealership networks. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a disaster. We cannot have another um, mm -hmm. reoccurrence of that mm -hmm. technology being introduced when it's not marketplace mm -hmm. ready. Mm -hmm. Uptime means everything to a motor carrier. Mm -hmm. When you affect our ability to generate revenue and to move America's commerce, it's not marketplace ready. Mm. So that's, that's my sentiment. Mm. Well, how do you feel about Elon Musk um, building an electric truck, uh, for example? I mean, uh, is, is that a solution, uh, possibly, that we can embrace? Uh, I, I think anything <laughs> is possible, yeah. right? Um, but again, it, it's, it's the innovators of, of the technology that is having an impact in, in our overall industry. Without you know, that level of thinking, I can't tell you tomorrow if that can be realized or not. But if you think about the innovation that we've experienced and how it's transformed our business, um, it's made us more efficient. So I think there, we have to welcome different types of innovation. Uh, and over time, accept and, and apply the innovation that is brought to us in, in a rightful way that make us better, safer, and more efficient in the industry. Yeah, yeah. Especially at the ports where we've seen a big push, you know, to get zero emission vehicles on in and out of ports because of air quality issues. So, I, I think it's a, I think it's an alternative that that may be niche specific. Okay. It might not fit every niche of what we do as an industry, but in certain specific niches, such as a port environment it might have an application there. So I don't know enough about it to speak to it any more than that. Okay. But I would say, again, it's, 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 it's an innovation that this industry would be wise to look at with a very open mind. Yeah. I have a feeling that there are people outside of trucking that are looking at our industry and wanting to um, make a change. And uh, this example of Elon Musk, who is the founder of Tesla, I guess everybody knows that. Um, is an example of that, sure. and we, we have other people too, that uh, technology, people from Silicon Valley who are inventing um, apps and, and uh, other software that um, uh, they think can help the industry be more efficient and, and, right, and more productive. Dan, it's hard to, it's hard to be a visionary. <laughs> it's hard to, you know, can you imagine the Pony Express riders years ago yeah. thinking that mail would be delivered around this country on jets, on airplanes, yeah. and, and in the way we do it today. Mm -hmm. We have to be visionaries in this industry. You look at the introduction right. of the smartphone, and yeah. a phone at a point in time was to make phone calls. Mm -hmm. Phone today is everything but used to make phone calls, and then that development you know, through mm -hmm. the smartphone, and you think about the applications that have been developed to support our industry, um, to support our business, and also help you know, the overall environment become that much more efficient through notifications and things of that nature, so. Good example. All right. All right. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. I really appreciate it. If you missed a part of the program today or you would like to watch it again, that's possible by going to our website later today, ttnews.com, and click on the live on web, click whatever. Okay. Um, just a few minutes after the, the program, uh, heads up, we're going to be, I'm going to be having a brief conversation with uh, Phil Bird. We're going to talk about uh, what's, what's going on at ATA, 
in terms of some personnel changes on Facebook Live. So if you're uh, so inclined, then join us for that. Uh, otherwise, thank you uh, to all of our guests, Don Dasky, Phil Bird, Joe Carlier, and of course our sponsor, Omnitrax, and uh, our production team here behind the scenes as well. Uh, until next time, I'm still Dan Berth, Senior Features Writer at Transport Topics. Thank you for watching.